If you have your copy of God's Word, I invite you to open up to Acts chapter 21. I will be covering verses 27 through chapter 22, verse 21. But I would like to begin by reading verse 39 of chapter 21. Paul replied, I am a Jew from Tarsus in Cilicia, a citizen of no obscure city. I beg you, permit me to speak to the people. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you uh, for the Scriptures, Lord, that bear witness to us of your glory. And I would pray that we would all just be in awe of how you advance your gospel, Lord, uh, through the book of Acts and how that applies to us directly. It's through Christ that we pray. Amen. All in. That's how we began 2018. That's our theme as a church for the year. When you think, or when I think all in, the first thing that usually comes to my mind is poker. <laughs> I think, alright, here's the time I'm either going to put all my chips in the middle of the table and win it all, or I'm going to lose it all. Some of us, when we think of all-in, maybe we think of Major League Baseball, we think of uh, the trade deadline, right? You got buyers and sellers at the trade deadline. You got teams who realize, hey, man, I don't have a shot of winning the World Series this year, so let me start planning for next year. But you also have buyers who think, man, we have a legit shot here to win the World Series, so let's just go all in. Let's just spend every last dime we got for, for our budget for the team, and let's just get the best players we can, and let's just go for it. But as God would have it in His sovereignty over the course of this year, we are preaching through the book of Acts, and here we probably have one of the greatest biblical examples of what it means to be all in in the Apostle Paul. I don't know about you all, but as Jeremy and other preachers here have been preaching through Acts, I've just been really in awe of Paul. It's amazing the amount of suffering and persecution, even to the point where they thought he was dead. And he gets up and goes back and preaches some more to advance the gospel. And we've witnessed how he's gone on three missionary journeys. And at the end of the third one, he comes back to Jerusalem to report to the church. Everybody's excited about what Paul uh, and God had done with the Gentiles. But they also told him about, hey, there's some Bible-believing Jews here that, uh, or Gospel-believing Jews here that have heard some serious accusations about you, how you're against the law. And what we need you to do is that for the sake of the unity of the church, we need you to surrender to a Nazarite vow along with four other guys and show the Jews here, show the people here that you're not anti-law. That you're not anti-Jewish. And Paul, in humility, submits to the unity of the church. And this is where we pick up in verse 27. When the seven days were almost completed, the Jews from Asia, 
Let me stop right there and I need to clarify. There was some gospel-believing Jews that we had already seen in town that so far has been okay with Paul. Paul's been there. Paul's went through his uh, uh, Jewish ritual process and everything seems to be good. And he's on his last day. Seven days he goes through this process. And on the very last day, these Jews from Asia, who are these Jews? These are non-gospel believing Jews from the town of Ephesus where Paul had previously preached the gospel. And here they are, like Paul, to celebrate the Feast of Pentecost. Originally, the Feast of Pentecost was a celebration of harvest. It's where the, the Jews would annually gather together to celebrate the goodness of God and providing for them via food. But by this time, it had changed from a celebration of harvest to a celebration of the law given to Moses. Let me put it in our context. Basically, what they was having is their annual Together for the Law conference. All the adults were wearing I Heart Moses t-shirts. All the kids were playing with Moses bobblehead dolls. They was having a great time. But here's Paul, right? Showing up. And these Jews from Asia don't like Paul. They hate Paul. And it goes on in verse 27. Seeing him in the temple, they stirred up the whole crowd and laid hands on him, crying out, Men of Israel, help! This is the man who is teaching everyone everywhere against the people and the law and this place. And this series of phrases, people, law, and place, is very familiar to us. In the Old Testament, God promised Abraham, I will make you a people. And He gives the law through Moses, and then He ultimately provides them a place to live and to worship. And what these Jews are saying to the other Jews around, is like, Paul is against everything that we believe. He's against everything that we are. Non-believing Jews saw Paul like a traitor. Cleveland Cavalier fans seeing LeBron James in a Miami Heat uniform. This is how the non-believing Jews were feeling. Green Bay Packer fans, Amos Kendrick, shares this sentimentality. We hated seeing Brett Favre in a Vikings uniform. Or even closer home, did it not turn your stomach the first time you seen Rick Pitino in Louisville Red? Paul felt as much love from the non-believing Jews as Governor Matt Bevan would be in a Kentucky National Teachers Convention. <laughs> Moreover, the verse continues, he even brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place. For they had previously seen Trophimus, the Ephesian, with him in the city, and they supposed that Paul had brought him into the temple. This against the temple language, we've seen this used before. We've seen this used to bring allegations against Jesus 
and it ultimately got him crucified. We've seen allegations against the temple brought against Stephen and got him stoned. And now we see them using the temple to bring allegations against the Apostle Paul. And verse 30 goes on to say, Then all the city was stirred up, and the people ran together. They seized Paul and dragged him out of the temple, and at once the gates were shut. What they understood and how they understood this, once the temple got defiled, the only way they can cleanse the temple is to get the person out of the temple and to kill him. They just want to kill Paul because of supposedly bringing a Gentile Jew into the temple. But what Paul understood, but these non-believing Jews didn't understand or didn't want to understand, that it was not Paul's blood that cleanses anything. It's Jesus' blood that cleanses all sin. It's not Paul's blood that they needed. They needed Jesus. Verse 31, And as they were seeking to kill him, word came to the tribune of the cohort. Now, that may be foreign language to us. Who is this and what is this title? Uh, this is, as we learn from chapter 23, Claudius Lysias. He's the tribune of the cohort. He is the rank, highest ranking Roman official in Jerusalem at the time. Think Pontius Pilate at the time of Jesus. He was a commander of a 1,000 man Roman occupation force. He had centurions underneath him that would be over 100 Roman soldiers. And so when this commotion came on, they went, uh, as it continues to say in verse 31 32, that all Jerusalem was in confusion. He at once took the soldiers and centurions and ran down to them. And when they saw the tribune and soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. So Paul takes at least two centurions and probably 200 soldiers to put a stop to this. Fortunately for Paul, the tribune rescues him from being beaten to death. But the question remains, what will the tribune do to Paul? Verse 33 says, Then the tribune came up and arrested him and ordered him to be bound with two chains. He inquired who he was and what he had done. Some in the crowd were shouting one thing, some another. And as he could not learn the facts because of the uproar, he ordered him to be brought into the barracks. And when he came to the steps, he was actually carried by the soldiers because of the violence of the crowd. For the mob of the people followed, crying out, Away with him. Away with him was a phrase that the Jews basically meant kill him. The streets of Jerusalem has heard these words before. Just decades before, they heard him when the crowd shouted and screamed to the top of their lungs, away with Jesus, away with him, kill him. Now they're saying the same words, not to Jesus, but to Jesus' witness. But we all say away with Him from time to time, don't we? 
Maybe not in the exact same way that the Jews are shouting this toward Jesus or to Paul. But we all say await it with Him. Probably Sunday after Sunday, there's some folks in here who hear the Gospel of Jesus Christ preached. And they're invited to respond to the Gospel, to put their belief and trust in Jesus alone. And what do they do? Nothing. They walk quietly out the doors, shake some hands, and go home. And what you're saying is, away with Him. For some of you in this room, God's been pushing you via the church here at Ashland to go on mission trips. Whether it's New Orleans or China or wherever it may be. But are you saying, mission trips are not for me. Away with Him. I bet some of you have been invited over and over again to a BFG. To a group of people who wants to show hospitality to you, to invite you into their home, and to share and discuss the sermon that was just preached, and to love on you, and to care about your family and get to know you. And that scares you to death. You just want to show up to church and just go home and, and just live your life without any accountability, without any true community here in the church. And what you're saying is away with Him, away with Christ, away with Jesus. But what about us who, you know, are dead set on getting up early, extra early before we have to go to work, before we have to start our day, and we have our iPhones, we have our phones scheduled to, to sound the alarm at 5 o'clock just so we can get up and do our daily devotional like every good Christian should. But what do we do? What do I do? I hit that snooze button. And what I'm saying is away with Him. Away with Jesus this morning. Sleep is more important. We're all guilty of it. We're all guilty just like the Jews. But will the tribune shed the blood of Paul like Pilate shed the blood of Christ? Verse 37 says, As Paul was about to be brought into the barracks, he said to him, May I say something to you? And he said, Do you know Greek? Are you not the Egyptian then who recently stirred up a revolt and led 4,000 men of the assassins out into the wilderness? This Egyptian was a false prophet from Egypt who led a revolt against Rome by using assassins. These assassins were nicknamed or given the title dagger men. How they went about the revolt against Rome is they would wait until huge crowds assembled like they're having here at the Feast of Pentecost. And with daggers hid away, they would find people loyal to Rome, and they would stab them under the cover of a crowd, and then get away. 
And it makes all the sense in the world of why the tribune would think that Paul was this guy. Could you imagine what great accolades Rome would give this tribune if he got this guy? But Paul clarifies his identity in verse 39. Paul replied, I am a Jew from Tarsus and Cilicia, a city of no obscure city. I beg you, permit me to speak to the people. Now this should just, we just put our hands over our mouth and just be at all. Paul was just about ready to be beat to death by this crowd. Instead of being like, saying to the tribune, oh, thanks so much for rescuing me, but they was about ready to kill me. Get me out of here. Save me from this persecution. We shouldn't be surprised at Paul's response. He says, I beg you, permit me to speak to the people. Paul was not on one of his missionary trips. It completed all three of them. But for Paul, he was never off mission. He was always seeking a way to advance the gospel no matter where he was or who he was with. And we shouldn't waste our opportunities that God provides for us to be on mission either. And it doesn't matter if we're in New Orleans or if they're in China or we're in, we're in Peru. You're on mission wherever you are as a believer. Paul was all in. And we see what that looks like for Paul. It looks like enduring persecution, the harshest, even to the point of death. But what does it look like for you and me to be all in here in Richmond, Kentucky now? If I may, I want to take some time to do some shout-outs, give you some Kodak moments of people in this room who, like Paul, when I look at Paul, I'm, I'm really convicted at Paul's life and also inspired. And when I look around this room, there are people in this room that inspire me and convict me to be more all in. Some of you all are retired right now. And maybe you think, I've worked all my life, I'm just going to coast the rest of my time. I'm just going to coast. But if you look at the lives of Glenn and Mary Pruitt, who are retired, but are all in. They don't slow down because of retirement. They actually use the extra time they have to serve the church more. You know how hard it is to keep this warehouse looking as good as it does? That's all thanks to Glenn and Mary. Not only that, but maybe one of the, the more inspiring things that I've witnessed from Glenn and Mary is how God used them for the salvation of an 85-year-old man, his neighbor, Mr. Hatton. 
amazing. And Mr. Hatton being in his mid-80s, we witnessed him be baptized here. And do you know what he did? With his, he died when he was 86. So he had about a year from the time he was saved and baptized to till the time the Lord took him away. Do you know how he spent his final year? Serving at VBS. He sat at the door in a chair with a smile on his face. And if you ask Mr. Hatton, he got much more out of VBS than all the kids did. He thoroughly enjoyed it. Just being there, seeing their smiling faces and serving. And what I'm going to say, and I say this with all love and respect, that because of the, the witness, the being all in that Mr. Hatton was in his mid-80s, that all of you who are around his age, what I want you to do, and I say this with all love and respect, is that you need to get off your geriatric butt and you need to see Miss Christy Wells and you need to sign up for VBS. That's what you need to do. You need, you, sharing the gospel may not cause your death, but we should all share the gospel until our death. Not only are our retired folks and our older folks have inspired and convicted me, but also our college students. Some of our college students are spending their summers in East Asia sharing the gospel. Some of our college students are other places in the U.S. being on mission. One of our college students or a recently graduated college student, Neil Bassett, has a birthday coming up. You know what he's doing for his birthday? Instead of getting... Uh, receiving gifts and, and like most poor college students need, just things to survive with. He says, he, he put on Facebook a fund where you can go fund him on his Facebook and all the funds go for Refuge of Women. <coughs> Refuge for Women is a ministry that helps uh, with human trafficking. That's a snapshot of what it means to be all in. And if you've not funded him, fund him. Okay? Advance the gospel by funding him. I can go on and on, and I'll just share one more. Kay Fusen. Kay is amazing. Uh, she runs the Journey Kids program. Uh, just unbelievable. She's an unbelievable servant. I, I love Kay. She takes incredible care of Hannah. And it's amazing. Perhaps the most amazing thing Kay Fusen does is that she's married to Patrick. <laughs> that is amazing right there. And that's a, just a snapshot of what it means to be all in. And I can go all in or, or on and on uh, about folks in here who have inspired and convicted me to be all in. But I think that you get the picture. It may look different for us than it looks for Paul. And that's fine. But use your opportunities. Use the time that you have to advance the gospel. But what do you say to people who are persecuting you because of your beliefs in Jesus? Verse 40 says, And when he had given him permission, 
Paul, standing on the steps, motioned with his hand to the people. And when there was a great hush, he addressed them in the Hebrew language, saying, Brothers and fathers, hear the defense that I now make before you. And when they heard that he was addressing them in the Hebrew language, they became even more quiet. And he said, I am a Jew born of in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city, educated at the feet of Gamaliel. Gamaliel was like the Yoda of the Pharisees. He was the, he was the most knowledgeable of all of them, I believe. According to the strict manner of our law, of the law of our fathers, and being zealous for God, as all of you are to this day. Paul, just being beaten almost to death by these people, and begs for the opportunity to say something to him, he doesn't say, away with you. He doesn't retaliate back. What does he do? He identifies with them. Who you are is who I used to be. And we probably have people in our lives that maybe we're ashamed to identify with. Maybe us as Christians, we have just, you know, those, that one family member, right, that is just off the crazy train, and, you know, we're, we're just kind of, you know, ashamed. There's not a human being alive that we should not be, that we should be ashamed to identify with. Why? Because Jesus was not ashamed to be identified with us. Paul says, not only was I just like you, but I have done what you're doing. Verse 4 says, I persecuted this way to the death, binding and delivering to prison, both men and women, as the high priest and the whole council of elders can bear me witness. From them I received letters to the brothers in a journey toward Damascus to take those who were there and bring them in bonds to Jerusalem to be punished. What you are doing to me, I used to do to Christians. Who you used to be, or who you are is who I used to be. What you're doing is what I used to do. And it paints this picture, not for just Paul and not for the Jews there, but for all of us, that we need someone to save us from what we are and what we've done. But who can do this? Who can do this saving? Can the sinner save himself? Can the sinner change himself? The answer to that is a resounding no. The text goes on to say in verse 6, And as I was on my way and drew near to Damascus, about noon, a great light from heaven suddenly shone around me. And I fell to the ground and heard voices saying, a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I answered, Who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. The gospel always knocks us off our high horse. Not to harm us, but to heal us. The gospel humbles us, but it doesn't humiliate us. The gospel reminds us of Jesus who humbled himself. 
and was humiliated on our behalf. The Gospel makes it crystal clear that I can't, but Jesus can. And in summary, verses 9-16, through Paul continues to recount his conversion testimony. But sometime after Paul's conversion to Christ, he goes back home. He goes back to Jerusalem. And this should make all the sense in the world to us. Do you remember your conversion day to Christ? What was one of the first inclinations that you had? Was it not to share the gospel with your family and friends? Right? You wanted them to share the great joy that you had received. And so it makes all the sense in the world that Paul would go back. But let's see what happens. Picking up in verse 17. When I had returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple, I fell into a trance and saw him saying to me, Make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly because they will not accept your testimony about me. This is what Jesus says to Paul. And it's interesting how Paul replies. He replies, And I said, Lord, they themselves know that in one synagogue after another I imprisoned and beat those who believed in you. And when, your blood, when the blood of Stephen, your witness, was being shed, I myself was standing by and approving and watching over the garments of those who killed him. Paul sounds desperate. He sounds desperate to share the gospel with his kinsmen, with his people, with his family, with his friends, the people that he grew up with. He's desperate to do it. If you really want to see the heart of Paul for the non-believing Jews that he encountered, there's probably no clearer picture than Romans 9 verses 1 through 3 where he says, I am speaking the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers and my kinsmen according to the flesh. Can you say that about your enemies? Maybe it's easier. Maybe we couldn't even possibly think, yeah, I would, I, you know, if it came down to me and, and my child, I, would, I might think about going to, to hell instead of them. If, that would, if, that, if I could change places with them, I would. I would let them to enjoy the blessings of being with Christ forever. And I'll suffer apart from Christ in eternity just so they can do it instead of me. We might understand that level of love in our hearts for children, maybe even for our spouses. But what about for the people who persecute us? People who make fun of us? People who give us a hard time? people at work, people in our neighborhoods. This was Paul's heart. Only God can change a person who at one time persecuted Christians to the death, but now will endure almost anything, almost any level of persecutions to see his kinsmen, these non-believing Jews, believe in Christ. But listen to what God says to Paul. Verse 21. 
And he said to me, Go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. Jesus says no to Paul. There's too much water under the bridge. They're not going to accept your testimony. But I've got a plan for you. I'm going to send you to the Gentiles. Now, usually, you know, you see a biblical model and that's, you know, we can, we can take that and apply that to our lives. But let's not do disservice to the uniqueness of Paul's ministry and his calling. Here's Paul wanting to go back home and share the gospel in his community. But Jesus says, no, I want you to go to foreign lands and share the gospel there. That's probably not going to be most of our stories. Our stories is going to be flipped. It's not going to... Some of us, yes, we should go to China. We should go to... uh, uh, Peru. We should go to, to other cities. We should go when we have the opportunity. It's not an either or deal. If possible, it's a both and. But we can't forgo and forget the and and how vital it is for us to be on mission here. Around our family. Around our friends. Around our neighborhoods. Around this city of Richmond. After reading Paul's story, it often feels hard to relate to him. He endured so so much persecution and has such incredible endurance. But he was a sinner just like you and I. And he needed saving by Jesus just like you and I. And just like Paul Jesus doesn't stop with the salvation, our salvation. He sends us on mission for the sake of the salvation of others. Paul was all in. We could be all in. Let's pray.